to the Gospel of Luke. This morning we'll be in the 24th chapter. This morning we are going to consider a large swath of text, uh, verses 1 through 49. Well, first we will pray for God the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds that we might receive the Scriptures as they really are. They really are the Word of God. So that we don't stand and for a long period of time, we will read this morning uh, verses 44 through 49 together. And then uh, I will unfold the scriptures, making the aim of the passage uh, the aim of our message this morning. But first, let us pray. Uh, Father in heaven, you are the name above all names. You are the beginning and the end. We ask, Lord, for the grace of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the passage to our minds for understanding. We ask for grace that you would inflame our hearts to believe and grace that you would engage our will to repentance and faith. We ask in the only name by which we may be saved, that is the mighty name of the risen Savior, our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as you are able, would you please stand with me for the reading of the inerrant, infallible Word of God from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is God's word. You may be seated. If there is a, a younger person in here with you that you feel might uh, benefit from uh, going downstairs with Heather, she's down there already. Uh, if you're an old person who just can't sit still, um, you might join her down there too. Uh, she'll have you watch a movie with her. So, I enjoy the drama of the courtroom. I enjoy watching it on TV, seeing the attorney unfold the truth. Because the attorney's aim is to unfold the truth such that there's only one conclusion is that all of the evidence that they are going to present points to one person. Everything is at the exclusion of everything else. There's only one conclusion, and it should point to one person. Luke's gospel account reads to me like an attorney who is presenting, convincing arguments of one particular truth that the only conclusion you must come to this morning is this he is risen indeed that is the conclusion that Luke 
argues here at the end of his book. It is from Luke's Gospel account this morning that I will argue that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ and that He is risen from the dead. Beyond a reasonable doubt, I will show you that you must conclude that He is risen indeed. Luke will show to you and present to you uh, the absence of the body of the Lord Jesus from the tomb in which He was buried. Luke will call the testimony of the angels of heaven. Luke will bring to remembrance the testimony of at least five women. We will see eyewitness testimony of the apostle Peter. Luke will bring in the testimony of two men whom Jesus walked with and talked with and was taught by. The biblical author will show you that the totality of the ancient scriptures attest to the necessity of Jesus' death and resurrection. The eyewitnesses will show you that those who witnessed the risen Jesus saw, them, saw Him with their eyes. They heard Him with their ears. They touched Him with their hands. Further, Luke will testify that Jesus was not some disembodied spirit, but a glorified body that shared a meal with them. And finally, I will close with Jesus' own proclamation. Jesus will give us the closing argument that He is risen and will give you the purpose for which He was raised. So I declare to you this morning that Jesus is risen. The evidence is clear. He is risen indeed, you must conclude. You must conclude this this morning. The aim of Luke's argument for the believer is clear. It is clear from the opening of his own gospel account in volume 1, Chapter Luke, uh, chapter one of Luke, he says, "Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught." Beyond a reasonable doubt, Christian, you should be certain that He is risen. He is risen indeed. In volume 2, Luke seems to repeat the same thing. He says in Acts chapter 1, he says, The former treatise I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which He was taken up. After that, He, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom He had chosen to whom he had also shown himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Believer, I make the case this morning that Jesus is risen. And I will unfold the account uh, in chapter 24 that you may have certainty that he is risen indeed. And for the person who is here this morning who has yet to come to a saving knowledge of the truth concerning Jesus resurrected from the dead, I will pre present the evidence of the necessity 
of Christ's resurrection such that you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. For with, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If, after all the evidence is presented to you, you continue to deny Jesus' resurrection, you stand condemned. But everyone who believes and concludes this, he is risen indeed, the Word of God tells us he will not be put to shame. But upon that confession, that person is saved from the wrath of God to come. Again, as we sang, Jesus, that is our only boasting. If it is not true that he is raised from the dead, if it is not true, I am the biggest fool in the world. I am a foolish, foolish man. But I declare to you that the evidence is clear. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Backing up to Luke 24, let's look at verses 1 through 3 together. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. I enter into evidence for you this morning that the women who discovered the empty tomb were faithful Jewish women. They had prepared the spices and the ointments for the body of Jesus, their teacher. They had followed the Sabbath law. They were faithful women. And their testimony is their teacher is not there. Jesus, just as the sun was rising on the first day of the week, in the wee hours of Sunday morning, they come to the tomb. When they come to the tomb, the stone is already rolled away. And in the tomb, there was no body. The stone had been rolled away. In the tomb, there was no body. Since the tomb is empty, you must conclude He is risen indeed. Verse 4, While they were perplexed about this, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. The women just knew that the tomb was empty. They had yet to conclude that he was risen. They were perplexed as to what the absence of the body meant. But now I enter into evidence the heavenly angelic witness. The heavenly beings testify to the devout Jewish women that the empty tomb is just as Jesus told you it would be. Luke records this teaching quoting Jesus in the ninth chapter in verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Again, the testimony of the angels is confirmation of Jesus' teaching in chapter 18, verses 32 and 33. He says, For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. What Jesus spoke on earth concerning his resurrection is is confirmed by the host of heaven. Heaven declares what Jesus declared on earth, that the tomb is empty and that he is indeed risen. Confirmed by two witnesses, two heavenly witnesses. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 13, reading here from the NESB, every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The tomb is empty. The testimony of Jesus is established. The fact of it is established by two witnesses. But I think this is more incredible. Not just two earthly sinful witnesses, it is two heavenly angelic beings testify as witnesses to the truth, to the fact that He is risen. I would say to you that you must conclude He is risen Indeed. Verse 8. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. They were convinced that the words of Christ, the empty tomb, the confirmation of the two heavenly witnesses is true. The women then go and tell the eleven, there is no body. He is risen indeed. I propose to you the incredulity of this statement. It is an incredible statement for these women to go to the eleven and say, we know for a fact that he is risen and the tomb is empty. It's incredible. And it was not lost on these women. They knew that the opinions of women in this culture were secondary to that of men. They tell the eleven apostles of Jesus Christ, knowing that for a fact they could probably be rejected. You see, I enter into evidence that such a risk would not be taken if it were a lie. Such a risk would not be taken by these people if it were a lie. They testify that Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And yet, they are not believed. Verse 12, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping uh, and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. If you don't believe the testimony of five or more faithful Jewish women... If you don't believe the testimony of two angelic beings, I want to enter into evidence for you this morning the testimony of the spokesperson of the disciples of Jesus Christ, Peter himself. Luke records that Peter comes in and inspects the tomb himself and he finds it empty. There is no body. He also found the stone rolled away. The tomb was empty, absent of Jesus' body. He makes note that the burial clothes were in their proper place. 
John records in chapter 20 that the linen cloths were in the exact place where Jesus laid. They were not stripped off of him. They were taken off of this body and then the body moved. Could you imagine having to take, uh, you know, kind of a mummified situation, right? The person's on, on, on the, on the, on the slab and they've got to unwrap him. What do you think they would have done? They would have taken the, the wrapping and thrown it on the ground and then taken the body. But it says, no, no, no. The, the, the claws were right where he was, right where he laid. They were in their place. The headpiece, John records, was folded like a napkin. Jewish tradition stated that when the master left the table, you would go to, to the master's house and you would have a meal with them. And if, if the master got up to leave, say, to go do his private business or whatever, if he wasn't coming back, he would just leave the napkin laying. But to signify to the servant that he was coming back, he would fold up his napkin and lay it there. The folded, folded napkin said, he is risen indeed and he's coming back. They didn't steal the body. Jesus is coming back. He is indeed risen. Jesus wasn't missing. The grave had not been robbed, which was the rumor of the day. He is risen. He transcended death. This is what you must know by the, the burial cloths being in place. His body was transcended the cloths, came through them. He is risen indeed. He is not there as he said he wouldn't be. And he's coming back. He's coming back. The tomb is empty. Faithful Jewish women testified that they found no body. The two heavenly witnesses established the fact of Jesus' own words. The spokesperson of Jesus found the tomb empty and the grave clothes in their place. You must conclude that he is risen indeed. Now we're going to look at a long swath here. Verses 13 through 35. That very day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew himself near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding as you walk with each other? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since all these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that 
they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all, all the scriptures, the things that were concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with him. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? And they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had made, been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. See, we have introduced into evidence the empty tomb, the credible testimony of faithful Jewish women, the two heavenly angelic witnesses, the witness of the spokesperson of the apostles, Peter. Now we enter to, into evidence what Luke calls in Acts the infallible proofs. The one who was dead, buried in the tomb, his body was absent. He now presents himself alive to two men. One of those men is known to us by name, Cleopas. The other is not. They're having a conversation concerning the things that had happened to Jesus. And Jesus joins in in their conversation. And at the first, they don't recognize him. They testified to the facts concerning Jesus, a man from Nazareth, one who spoke and did the mighty works of God, greater than the prophets that came before him. He was delivered by death, over to death by the religious community. He was the one in whom people had placed their trust for a redeemed nation. He was the one in whom the people uh, trusted. He was in the grave three days. Cleopas and his friend confirm that the women found the tomb empty. They reiterate the testimony of the angelic witnesses. They confirm that Peter also found that Jesus was not in the tomb. Unaware of who is speaking, the men hear the words of Jesus. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The tomb is empty. It's absent of a body because the one you are looking for is more than a political liberator, more than a military leader sent to make right your earthly ambitions. The one you're looking for is Jesus and he is the Christ. The prophets spoke of the one who would bear the sins of the people. Jesus tells them that the pattern of the Holy Scriptures has been from old, that God's chosen leaders are brought through suffering first and then glory. Do you not know that for your sake a suffering Christ was necessary? Do you not know your own condition? 
Do you not believe the law, what the law of God prescribes? That the shedding of blood is necessary for the atonement of sin? I would imagine they, he would have quoted Leviticus chapter 17 for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your soul. For it is by the blood, the reason of life that makes atonement. Later, the writer of Hebrews comments on that very passage and on that law. In Hebrews 9.22, he says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus here is saying, Do you not know that it was necessary that the Christ should suffer and rise again? It is necessary. It's needful for you. Like Jesus asked Cleopas and friend, I pose this question to you. Are you slow to believe? Not only must you conclude this morning that Jesus is risen based on the evidence that is presented to you today, but you must examine yourself. And you must come to an understanding from the heart by faith that you are dead in your own trespasses and sins. That atonement must be made. That the sacrifice must be without spot or blemish. This means that you cannot make atonement for yourself. That you cannot save yourself. That you can't not do enough good works to warrant salvation. You can't do it yourself. See, you must understand that Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one of God. That His suffering was necessary for your sins. That without the shedding of His blood received by you in faith, there is no forgiveness and you will die in your sin. It is further necessary that you conclude that He is indeed risen. Understanding that if He is not risen, then the sacrifice is not complete. If the sacrifice is not sufficient to overcome death, then guess what? Then you are still dead in your sins. Jesus taught the disciples before His death and resurrection this very truth from John chapter 8. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. I think Christ is pretty clear that it must be by faith in Him and in Him alone. In their natural state, Cleopas and friend could not see that Jesus was the Christ and they were unable to believe from the heart that God raised Him from the dead. But Jesus being raised from the dead proved He was the Christ to them. Jesus proved it to them. When He was at table with them, verse 30, He took the bread and blessed uh, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized Him and He vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he, was, he talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and He has appeared to Simon. Listen to verse 35. Then they told Him what had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. It's a particularly odd construction for this sentence to get at it. But I want us to think about that verse here in just a moment. 
We enter into evidence that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the power of God to salvation. Jesus is the transcendent God who reveals Himself to people blinded by unbelief. We enter into evidence that the eleven believe and that Jesus appeared to Simon as well. Cleopas and friend testify that He is risen indeed. We heard His words with our ears. We saw Him with our eyes. And they have come to know from the heart through the breaking of bread, something big. Something big. And it's this. By implication, He revealed Himself to us in the breaking of bread. They understand that He who is risen indeed was also the one who poured out His life for them. He poured out His life for them. The one who was risen was the one who poured out his life for them. We enter into evidence this, the transformation of Cleopas and his friends. They go from deaf ears to hearing, from blind eyes to seeing, and from unbelief to faith. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you raise doubts in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. He said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. We enter into evidence the infallible proof of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ revealed to the eleven and to Cleopas and to his friend. And Jesus announces this when he comes in, the peace of God. If after the evidence this morning that Jesus is risen has been presented to you and you are still doubting or unbelieving, guess what? The peace of God then eludes you. You are at enmity with God. To proclaim that He is risen indeed is a work of faith. It is a grace of God. The natural man cannot and will not confess that He is risen indeed. Romans 8, uh, 7 and 8 tells us this, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, nor is it even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says this, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, that is Jesus, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Notice when Jesus comes in and He's revealing Himself, himself to them, what does He say to them? Peace to you. The peace of God is found in me. I am the one who died for sin and is raised again. This is the assurance that you have peace with God. So we must confess that He is risen indeed. But Jesus addresses their doubt. He, there was much lingering doubt. There was much confusion concerning the physical reality of Jesus' resurrection body. There were among them continuing questions about the resurrection itself. The tomb is empty, but they had in their minds that perhaps 
The body had been moved to another grave, and we are only seeing the spirit of Jesus. But when we look at Jesus' answer in verses 39 and 40, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have hands, uh, doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus declares to them the peace of God comes by way of the cross. I want you to get this. This is a very important part of this passage, what Jesus says here. When he says he's going to show them his, the scars of his crucifixion, his hands and his feet touch me. He's just announced peace to them, but peace only comes through the suffering of the cross. Peace with God has to come through Jesus Christ suffering on the cross. Jesus says, don't doubt. I declare peace to you. It comes by way of the cross. It's in my hands and my feet. I bear the scars of the cross. I bear the cost of peace with God. Touch me and see. It is I, Jesus says. He says, touch and see the one who stands before you risen from the dead is the same guy from Nazareth that Jesus who glorified God on earth, both in word and in deed. You must conclude that He is risen indeed. But before you can declare Jesus risen from the dead, you must have your account reconciled with God. The way of life for you in His resurrection comes by way of the cross, by the way of suffering. Not yours, His suffering for your sin. But to live, you must die with Him. You must respond with repentance which is a turning over of your desire for a self-governed, self-directed, autonomous life. You must receive in yourselves faith. Faith that your sin was nailed to the cross. That Jesus did not merely cover your sin, but that a complete transfer took place. Upon Him, your sin was placed. And Jesus' right, righteousness was deposited to you, making peace with God. Jesus declares that the way of peace is through the cross. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. I ask you this morning, will you repent? Will you believe? And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before him. The resurrected Jesus provides further evidence that he is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one who transcended death. The payment for sin was paid in full. Not only can you touch and see the scars that brought you peace, but being fully human as well as fully God, he ate a meal before them. Beyond a reasonable doubt, you must conclude that he is risen indeed. Luke has laid out for us the empty tomb attested to by five or more faithful Jewish women. He, it has been confirmed by two heavenly uh, angelic witnesses seen by the spokesperson uh, of the apostles, Peter himself. You must conclude that he is risen indeed. Luke has shown us infallible proof 
of the risen Jesus, showing himself to Cleopas and his unnamed friend. Jesus showed himself at once to the eleven apostles and those two men with which he revealed to himself on the road to Emmaus. You must conclude that he is risen indeed. Jesus revealed that the one who was before them was the one who had died, proving himself by bodily showing that he bared the scars that their sin deserved. He eats a meal with them. Jesus has risen bodily. You must conclude that he has risen indeed. If you are still unbelieving, having heard the testimony presented to you today from God's Word, I encourage you to understand this truth, that the flesh is no help at all. By virtue of Jesus' obedience to the point of death for sinners like you and I, and God having indeed raised Him from the dead, Jesus has become the giver of all good gifts. All good gifts to men and to women, to boys and to girls. Jesus has ascended to heaven, to the Father, and the Father declaring Him that the One who died and the One who rose again is both the Savior and the Lord. And as such, Jesus has the right to give gifts to men and women and boys and girls. And the gift He gives is the gift of the Helper, His Holy Spirit, that we might believe. I want to close this morning with Jesus giving the closing argument that He is the atonement for sin, that He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and that He is the one who is risen indeed, and that He is the giver of the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read the passage that we read at the beginning. Then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written. This is the words of Christ. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I ask you here this morning, if today for the first time you've been convinced, convicted, if you've been moved from unbelief to faith, if you can say from the heart that Jesus Christ died for my sin, that God raised Him from the dead, I believe. He is risen indeed. Please, after this service is concluded, tell someone. I'm not going to ask you to learn some special handshake or some kind of thing. You can simply just come and say, today for the first time, I honestly can say He is risen indeed. Tell someone. Tell me. Tell Joe Moore. Tell Jesse Martinez, John Roberts, Michelle, Jesse Wildman. Tell someone that today, for the first time, God has given you faith and opened your eyes and, and that you indeed believe that He is risen. And we will just pray with you. And we will offer you help to live this new life of faith in the One who was and is and is to come.
Jesus Christ is risen indeed. Let us take just a moment of silence to reflect upon God's Word. Let it have its full effect in us. Let us just silently allow the Spirit to work in us. And Father, we do ask that Your Spirit would come and has come upon those and given them a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I pray today that for the first time, one would say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. I thank You, Lord, for Your Word. I thank You for these, my dear brothers and sisters who have gathered. And I pray that this morning You were brought great glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.